Our sermon text this morning is found in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. It's printed for you on the back of your order of worship. I encourage you to listen now, again, once more to God's holy and inerrant word. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is, friends, absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts gathered here this morning would be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is well known as his epistle of joy. You may have heard that before because of the number of times that he commends joy to the church there to the Philippians, even in the midst of their suffering and difficulty. In like manner, I think that Paul's letter to the Colossians might be called, rightly, his epistle of thanksgiving. The Philippians is the epistle of joy. Colossians is the epistle of thanksgiving. In a letter that is only four chapters long, Paul explicitly discusses and commends thanksgiving to his readers no less than seven times. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he begins his, letters by, his letter by telling his readers in Colossae that he always thanks God for them and for their faith in Jesus. And later in chapter 1, in verse 12, he exhorts his readers to be those who give thanks to the Father for qualifying them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In 2.7, our text this morning, he desires for the Colossians to abound in thanksgiving. And then in chapter 3, in verses 15, 16, and 17, Paul tells the Colossians in short succession to be thankful, to sing with thankfulness to the Lord, and in whatever they do, in word or deed, to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And finally, in the last chapter, Paul concludes his letter by telling his readers to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's clear as you look at Colossians as a whole that this is a letter written to a church that is having a hard time, maybe even moving into some kind of crisis. Paul combats this danger with the primary theme of his epistle which is the centrality and all-sufficiency of Christ. But he also combats this danger with a secondary theme, which is that the Colossians are those who are to respond to what they have received in Christ with thanksgiving. He commends giving thanks to them, gratitude to the Lord. This dynamic is on full display in our passage this morning, right? In the first chapter of his letter, if you know it, and the first few verses of chapter 2, Paul has been emphasizing again and again to the Colossians the work of Jesus Christ and his redemption and reconciliation of all things. It is in him that all things hold together. 
But now in chapter 2, verse 6, he pivots for a moment and begins to apply this message of Christ's work to their lives. He says, therefore, when you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for, right? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught. And how should you do it, Paul says? Abounding in thanksgiving. What Paul is basically saying here is this. He's saying, your community has received the good news that Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified and risen one, he is Israel's Messiah. He is Christ and Lord and King of all. And since you have received this message, walk now as those who are rooted and built up by this Christ. And as you walk, you should be abounding, you should be overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving to God. You see, here in these two verses, Paul's two great themes of this epistle come together. The centrality of Christ as the initiator and sustainer and finisher of the Christian life and the centrality of thanksgiving and gratitude as the characteristic attribute and practice of those who are united to this Christ. But, but why does Paul place thanksgiving at the center of Christian life? Is giving thanks really that important? Isn't saying thank you just sort of good manners or good sense, not a particularly religious or spiritual act? Uh, to, to see and understand the centrality of thanksgiving for us as Christian people before God, those who are in Christ before God, I think we need to go back to the beginning, back to the garden and the purpose for which God placed humanity at the center of his creation. Remember, in the beginning, God made all things and his posture towards that creation was not neutral. No, he delighted in each thing that he made. He made the stars and the sun and the moon and the earth and the seas and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the sky and the trees and the flowers. He made each of these things. He looked on each thing he made and he said, it is good. Tove, tove, he said again and again. But when God made Adam, he did something different. He not only called Adam good, even very good, he also invited him to join in with the act of naming that he had just begun. He invited Adam to open his mouth and speak as well. Genesis tells us that God brought every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven to Adam to see what he would call them. God made Adam so that he would delight with God in God's creation, that he might join in God's own joy at the amazing things that God had made, that he might respond to God's act of love and creation with the priestly response of thanksgiving. By naming the animals, Adam was not simply giving them something that they would be called by. He was also naming them as good, naming them as a gift from God to be delighted in, to be grateful for. We see Adam's vocation of thanksgiving most clearly in his response to the gift of Eve. When Adam saw this amazing, beautiful person that God had made as a fitting partner for himself, he opened his mouth, right? He can't keep silent. 
He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam sings a song of thanksgiving to the Lord as he should have done for the Lord's kindness to him. The 20th century theologian Alexander Schmemann, he puts it this way. He says, the unique position of man or humanity in the universe is that he alone, as opposed to all the rest of creation, right? Only man can fully do this. He alone is to bless God for the food and the life he receives from him. He alone is to respond to God's blessing with his blessing. The only natural reaction of man to whom God gave this blessed and sanctified world is to bless God in return, to thank Him, to see the world as God sees it, and in this act of gratitude and adoration to know, name, and possess the world. This is what we were made for. We were made to be those who give thanks to God for all creation. Paul puts thanksgiving at the heart of the Christian life because it was for this purpose that we were made, to receive all creation from the hand of God as a gift and to wake each day with a song on our lips, thanking Him for it. That's how it was meant to be. But we know that that's not how it worked out. You see, Adam and Eve were made king and queen of all creation, but instead of simply receiving the world as a gift to be enjoyed and offering their song of thanksgiving to God, they sought to possess creation as an object they could take and hoard and keep from themselves apart from God without God even realizing what was happening. And in doing so, they lost their place in it. This high-handed posture toward the world, which is embodied in eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. This refusal to acknowledge God as the ultimate giver of all good things and to thank Him for His gift of creation. This, in some real sense, is the very essence of all sin. All sin is like this. It is a refusal to receive what God has given us and thank Him for it, but to grasp for things that He is not. In Romans 1, when Paul describes the rebellion of the human race, he emphasizes the aspect of giving thanks or of not giving thanks to the Lord. This is what sin is, Paul says. Although they, that is the human race, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That was their failure. And by refusing to honor God as God and to thank Him for His good gifts, the human race fell into futility and darkness and death. Thanksgiving, as it turns out, is a big deal. It's not a small thing. It's meant to be at the center of our lives. Now, there were times when, prompted by God's Spirit, human beings returned to their primary vocation of receiving God's good gifts and offering thanksgiving in return. Think of Abel, right? Not long after his parents sinned, taking the best of his flocks, those he'd worked so hard to raise, and offering the first fruits of his flock back to God as a sign of his gratitude. Think of Abraham, 
meeting Melchizedek on the way back from his victory over the kings of the land and his free gift as a tithe, the tithe that he gave to Melchizedek as a sign of his gratitude for the victory he had just won. Think of Moses and Miriam and the great song of thanksgiving that they wrote and taught Israel to sing together to God after his defeat of Egypt at the Red Sea. Think of David in our reading this morning and how he set at the very heart of Israel's life a choir that would sing thanksgiving to God, that would make thanksgiving to God perpetually. Day after day, the Levites would be there singing thanksgiving to God. That would be at the heart of their life as a people. Think of Jonah in the belly of a great fish offering gratitude to God, thanksgiving for delivering him from the waters. But there's a counter-narrative to this as well. For even those whom God called to himself, those upon whom God put his seal and his promise, they also at times failed to give thanks to him. And they went down the road of ingratitude and false possession. Remember how Abraham received God's promises as a gift, but he also took Hagar into his tent in an attempt to possess that promise for himself on his own terms rather than simply receiving it and giving thanks for it. Moses led the people out of slavery, but he also struck the rock in anger to force the water out because he was wary of his constant dependence on God for provision. David received the throne of Israel as a gift, and it was glorious, and he thanked God for it until his eyes fell on Bathsheba. Very soon after, ironically, that choir of Levites singing thanksgiving was established. David's eyes fell on Bathsheba, and he decided that he was, after all, not quite content, not quite grateful. There was something else he needed to have. And of course, this refusal to receive the world with thanksgiving and what God gives to us as, as, as good and sufficient and instead treat it as an object to possess, it's not simply ancient history. It's something we all know about in our own hearts and lives because, friends, all of us have been given so much. Life itself and the beauty of creation salvation and deliverance from our sins, and so much more, right? Homes that are warm in the winter and cool in the summer, food to eat, wine to drink, and what by most human standards in history is immense luxury and wealth. Not to mention friendship and family and even perhaps the love of a husband or wife and children as well. We've been given all these things, friends, but which of us is truly content, truly content with what God has given us? Which of us has received all these things as gifts to be enjoyed and received and not objects to be possessed and defended and held on to for longer than 10 minutes at a time? It's so hard. All of us have been given so much 
more than what we deserve, and yet each of us know that we still covet and lust for more, to use biblical language. That we pine for whatever it is that we don't have, that God has not yet given us. But the ingratitude of Adam and Eve and their children, including us, the darkness, the rebellion, the hoarding, the lust, this is not the end of the story, friends. Because in the fullness of time, God himself entered into creation. In the person of his own son, he came and dwelt among us as a man. He tabernacled himself in the midst of his creation. God's son united himself to our nature and our flesh. Not only to die for the sins that we had committed and the ingratitude of our hearts, but also to restore God's true image to the human race. To restore man's place as the priest of the world, as the one who would receive creation as gift and return it back to God with thanksgiving, as an offering to Him. Friends, do you know who was the most thankful person who ever lived? The one who had the most gratitude toward God? It was not, as you might expect, a great king with immense wealth and power like Solomon or Nebuchadnezzar. It was not a, a scoundrel miraculously given his life back like Barabbas or the thief or Saul the Pharisee. It was not even, perhaps most poignantly, a woman like Sarah or Hannah who were given finally childbirth and the children they longed for. No, the most grateful human who ever lived was a penniless Jewish man who had neither wife nor children to love or to hold, who was a homeless wanderer without a place to lay his head, a man who was constantly derided and attacked and plotted against by his enemies and abandoned and betrayed by his friends and finally tortured to death on a cross outside Jerusalem. That is the most thankful man who ever lived, whose heart overflowed with gratitude to God. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God and the Messiah of Israel, he received all things which came to him from his Father's hands, even his own death as a gift and offered it back to him with thanksgiving. We know the, the gratitude of Jesus' heart, not only from the number of times when the Gospels explicitly record that Jesus thanked God before he performed a miracle or before he offered a new parable or teaching, but most primi primarily we know it in this, friends, that on the night before his death, knowing what was coming, we are told that Jesus took bread in his hands and he gave thanks to his Father. He gave thanks. And after he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his friends and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And then in like manner, he took the wine, and do you know what he did with it? He gave thanks for it to his Father. He thanked his Father for his blood that would be shed. 
And then he said, this is my blood poured out for you, friends. Take and drink. Jesus came in our flesh to die for our sins, but he also came to restore us back to the Father in right relationship to the one who has given us all things to show us what it means to be truly human. And the way that he did this more than anything else is by putting at the center of our life with him a meal, which has been rightly described by the Christian church since ancient times as Eucharist. Eucharist, which is the Greek word for thanksgiving. That's what it means. Thanksgiving, that's what Christians have called this meal since the very beginning. For the great thanksgiving, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, is not only the means by which we are strengthened and nourished week by week by the body and blood of the living Christ, it is also the place and time where we, if only for an instant, friends, if only for a few moments, a few minutes, find ourselves doing finally what we were always meant to do since creation. That act that we were made for, receiving what God has given us with thanksgiving and offering it back to Him with a blessing on our lips. Why else when we prepare for the Eucharist each week do I say to you, friends, lift up your hearts. And you say, we lift them up to the Lord. And then I say, let us give thanks to the Lord. Let us Eucharist the Lord. And you say with one voice, it is right to give him thanks and praise. Yes, friends, it is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good and joyful always and everywhere, to give thanks unto Him, He who is Lord and Father and Almighty and everlasting God. That is what we're doing in that moment. We are giving thanks to God as He always intended for us to do. And when we participate in this act, in this meal, In this sacrament, when we lift our hearts by the power of the Spirit and are joined again in communion with the risen Son, our voices are not ours alone anymore. Our voices are joined with all of redeemed humanity. With the angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, with all the saints living and dead, with the whole church on earth, and we say together with thanksgiving, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord Most High. That is what we are doing, friends, in this meal. We're joining in with the choir of the redeemed, the chorus of creation praising God and giving thanks. Why is the Lord's Supper a meal of thanksgiving? One theologian puts it this way. He says, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. The only answer 
to grace is Eucharist, is thanksgiving. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. They unite together. And is it in this meal, this sacrament, that they come together most visibly? And it is in this meal, in this Eucharist, that we learn the truth of Paul's words in this passage, that it is here, friends, that we are rooted in Christ and built up in Christ and established in Christ. And it is here that we abound in thanksgiving. You see, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving is meant to be a rock that is dropped into the flat pond of our lives. It is meant to ripple out into everything we do, everything that we receive, so that we learn to receive it all from God as a gift and give it back to Him with thanksgiving. It is not that we gather here on Sunday mornings so that we learn how to live in a real world. No, friends, it is, that's not how it is at all. No, this is the real world. Here, this is what is most real. What we do in our worship each week, this is the real world and everything flows out from this place. And it is here that we offer the great thanksgiving from which all other acts of gratitude flow. It is here in this place where heaven and earth meet, this meal which is at the true center of the world. And so, beloved, here as we close is my exhortation for you. Friends, you are those, brothers and sisters, you are those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord. You know this. And just as you have received him, so walk in him. So be rooted and built up and established in him. And I say to you, abound and overflow with thanksgiving. Lean into that act of thanksgiving. See it not just as an add-on but a central practice of your life with God and what it means to follow Jesus, the most thankful and person who is most full of gratitude who ever lived, that it is something that you are invited to every day. And I don't mean primarily, I mean do this if you want, but I don't mean primarily I want you to write down six things every morning that you're thankful for. That's okay, but what I mean is I want you to make thankfulness and, and gratitude toward God not just generically thankful and, you know, grateful, but having gratitude and thanksgiving toward God, toward the living God, to be the flavor of your life, to be the, the sweet-smelling aroma that follows you around through your days, the baseline perspective and assumption that colors both your disappointments and your sorrows and your joys and your triumphs. Friends, the reality is that it is not hard to tell whether a person's life is characterized by gratitude toward God. You spend 30 minutes with them and you have a pretty good idea. It is one of the most clear things that we reveal. But the promise of the gospel is this, friends. All of us who are in Christ, even if we're not yet very good at it, 
even if our hearts haven't been fully remade yet, are learning what it means to return to the feet of the one who has healed us, like the Samaritan in our passage this morning, to return to the feet of the one who has cleansed us and to give him thanks. That's why we do this every week, friends. Every Sunday we do it because we're all learning together. Friends, our King has come to us and He has returned us to our vocation, our calling as men and women. He has given us a meal by which we have been set free to be a kingdom of priests who receive all things with joy and thanksgiving and bless God for it. Bless God for what He has done. Friends, the angels of heaven tell us, and they're right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And blessed are you, beloved, for you have died. And your life is hidden now with Christ in God. And when the Christ who is your life Christ, who is your life, friends, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, indeed, we give you thanks for all that you have given us. All that you have given us, Father that is summed up above all things in this, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, his life, death, and, and resurrection, his ascension to your right hand. Father, this morning, may we be those who, in Christ, have hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving towards you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.